Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Um, it was released on Netflix in Australia um, probably a month or so ago, I think. And um, in all of our busy, busy schedules, we've found some time, I think it was quite a bit of time actually for, for this sort of film, um, to set aside to watch this film. Um, and I'm joined by Gerald, Anager, and Maggie. Um, say hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hello, everyone. Yeah, so Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Now, this was a film that um, came up on my Netflix feed. I was kind of excited about it. Um, I think I may have strong-armed Jerry and Anger and even Mags into watching this film. Um, on paper, this seems like a really interesting film. It's like a heist film and a zombie film. It had like a really cool trailer on Netflix. Um with like a you know kick-ass song attached to it it looked like a pretty cool mix um it had dave batista so yeah i was kind of like pumped for this film right it's like every once in a while there are these films that come on netflix that netflix promotes and you're like yeah yeah i'm gonna watch that on the premiere night that that happened that it goes on um so yeah that was army of the dead i so look i mean (laughs) why don't I give a brief synopsis of the film? Because, I mean, like, conceptually, this film is supposed to be a heist film crossed with a zombie film, right? The film is about how, like, there's a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas. The US government has basically locked down Las Vegas by surrounding it by, like, with, like, shipping containers, <laughs> I want to say. That's that's what happens in the film. There are a bunch of shipping containers that they stack to wall in Las Vegas, and they've sort of contained it. Um, you know, like, the film starts, there's a montage of people, I guess, trying to get out of Vegas, I think. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway... <clears throat> So, Vegas has been locked down. We hear that Vegas is about to get destroyed by a nuclear bomb because the US government is going to, like, just eradicate it instead of deal with it. Um, and um, Dave Bautista's character, a guy called Scott Ward, I want to say, off the top of my head. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but, you know, <laughs> he had a pretty standard sort of name, Scott Ward, I think. And Scott Ward gets approached by a businessman who says, hey, there's all this money sitting in this Vegas vault. You should go in there before your nuclear bomb drops in and you should take it because no one is going to know if it gets taken and it'll just be yours. So I want you to put together a team to go in there and get this money, right? Pretty interesting setup, right? Zombie infested Vegas of all places. And then we're going to put together a crack team with special skills. We're going to go in there and like get the money and doesn't really play out like that but anyway that's kind of the concept of the film the film kind of has does have a team that gets put together they go in there there's all this weirdness with like zombies and zombie babies and intelligent zombies like the zombies have become more intelligent apparently like they're apparently hard to kill anyway the team goes in there stuff happens like a bunch of them die and then like that's Anyway, look, it's it's a heist film. They they get the money and they try to get out, right? Um, 
I, I don't really know what else to really say about this film. It, it's kind of... Uh, like, <laughs> why don't I just throw it out there? I know I have probably have not done a very good job of sort of conceptualizing this film for everybody, but <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know how much depth there is really to conceptualize in this film. So um, why don't we go around and just talk about whether we thought this film, did this film live up to its hype, and did you enjoy this film? I, I think you can tell by my tone that I, I don't feel like this film lived up to his hype, and um, I personally thought it was actually a little bit of a... It was kind of boring, actually, in some places. So, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll delve into that later. Um, why don't I shoot to somebody else? Mags, Andrew, Jerry, who wants to who wants to have a chat? Oh, yeah, I'll have a go. Yeah. Um, as you say, Daz, this, this had the potential to be something really interesting. Um, the premise made it sound like um, Ocean's Eleven meets 28 Days Later, but in fact, it turned out to be a crap version of Aliens meets a crap version of Rogue One, and uh, the experience was both boring and depressing. I mean, I was prepared to to cut Zack Snyder some slack. I was rooting for him to succeed after the you know horrible couple of years he's been through, and um, you know after he had kind of vaguely resuscitated Justice League, I thought, okay, look. Maybe maybe Zach here has has turned the leaf. Maybe he's matured as a filmmaker. And he's able to give us something that's kick-ass and satisfying. And uh, it was neither of those things. Uh, the movie was extremely dull. The first hour was soporific, and um, the ending was so depressing. Everyone dies, and the person that, like for instance, Dave Bautista's daughter goes in to rescue, she's probably dead. We don't know because the movie doesn't care to find out whether she's dead or not. Um, and like the last survivor of the crew turns out to have been bitten by a zombie. Awesome. Um, well, no, you, you like Dave Bautista's daughter survives, yeah, which but, I have issue with because I found her to be incredibly annoying. But anyway, she, she, was, like, she was like she belongs in the sort of Kim Bauer um, Hall of Fame of annoying fictional daughters. Uh, so look, I, I thought there was not much to redeem this film. Except perhaps Batista. I think I think Dave Batista might be a bit of a revelation. I think of all these sort of wrestlers turned actors, he might be the only one who can act. He's not as charismatic as, as Dwayne Johnson, but then again, very few people are. But Dwayne Johnson can't act. He just plays himself and he sort of coasts along in his charisma. Whereas off the back of his cameo in Blade Runner 2049 and he's playing someone who's genuinely heartbroken in this movie, I, I think Dave Batista might be able to act. And, you know... When you when you combine that with the fact that he's he seems to have comic timing in the Guardians of the Galaxy films, um, he might have a bit of range. And I feel kind of bad saying this because um, it's not something we're allowed to admit. It's not something you're supposed to admit in polite company that perhaps this wrestler turned actor might be able to to act, might have some chops. But I think I think he kind of might, um, and he might be the only good thing about this movie because otherwise. Uh, there's 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 very, very little to recommend it. The action isn't particularly great. I mean, there are probably two pretty okay action sequences, but otherwise, um, yeah. There's for those of you who are thinking, at the very least, Zack Snyder can give us like spectacle. Uh, you're not going to get too much of that in this movie. So um, I think I'll just leave it at that and uh, throw it open to uh, the next cab off the rank. Nice. I I don't think I can say much more. 
um, Gerald just said everything I was going to say, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know how much I love The Rock and all his movies, and I totally agree. I think the out of this train wreck, the best thing was um, Batista, and I really can't wait to see him in, um, in June. Yeah. yeah. What's interesting, though, is that I, I've read reviews, and so I'm actually really glad we've started talking about Batista here, because... Like, you know, before this podcast, Mags was saying to me that, like, she... Like, she was like, oh, I actually thought Dave Bautista was quite good in this. And then I was reflecting, I was like, yeah, I think I actually agree with that as well, right? I think he's quite a... He he can emote, right? And he's not... He doesn't overplay... And look, definitely in this cast of actors, I feel like he was, like, the best one out of them. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, look, I mean, this is this is not like this is not like. No, sorry. Yeah, there's a low base, but I mean, he's like far exceeding that low base. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and look, I, I really liked him in Blade Runner twenty forty nine as well, right? So, which is one of my favorite films. But yeah, like, I, I am so glad that Gerald brought this up because. You're right, Jerry. It's kind of like faux pas to admit that you think that Dave Bautista has potentially acting chops, right? It's like, what planet do you live on? But I, I think it's actually potentially true. And what what struggle? What I struggle with there is that I've read reviews that have said that oh, he was such a bad actor in this, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, this film has lots of problems, but I, I don't really see like there are many other actors who are much worse than Dave Bautista in this film, right? Like, Look, to be fair, Dash, his dialogue is incomprehensible. Like, because he he decides to he decides to go for the Marlon Brando mumbly thing, um, and so even though his body language and his facial expressions completely convey what he's going through. He, he, like I could not understand a single word he said. He, he was kind of like the Benicio del Toro character in The Usual Suspects. Like, what are you saying, dude? Like, I said that it was actually, despite all that, it was actually quite almost the only compelling thing about the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with that. Andrew, what, you, what were your thoughts on this film? Um, okay, so starting with the good. I think if it's a zombie movie, standards are immediately shifted, right? It's like you don't have to... No! Standards are immediately shifted. You don't have to deliver much. I'm just expecting for it to be, like, spectacle entertaining, right? So I I think that even though I get what you guys are saying, that it, it was a little bit boring at times, it was also, it had enough jump scares in it. It had um, some really cool-looking zombies, um, like the alpha zombies, the ones that had the ability to think and plan, um, were kind of cool-looking. I think they were, the way they moved, it kind of looked like contemporary dance which was weird. Like, it was like I suddenly, I was watching, like, ballet or something. You know how the, you know how in contemporary dance you're supposed to move around like that? It was like they were <laughs> No, I know what you're supposed to say. Really weird. The Queen um, Zombie, wasn't she like a belly dancer or something? <laughs> I'm not surprised she's a dancer. So I actually found that quite off-putting. Like, why are you moving from side to side? Wouldn't it be just faster to walk straight? Like, it was really strange. <laughs> but the, I did find, um, you know, the makeup and the, the Zombie Zero I thought was very kind of scary. Um, so I was always looking forward to, to scenes with Zombie Zero. So that's the good. Um, coming to the bad, 
I thought there was so much that was wrong. Like, first of all, they kept trying to infuse humour into the movie, and I totally get why. It's a zombie movie, it's an action heist. The the most successful and the best ones in those genres, they have humour, they don't take themselves too seriously. But the jokes just didn't mesh in. Like, they just seemed so out of place with the rest of the movie and what we were seeing. And I can't say why it was. I can't say if it's that the, the they were poorly timed or they were just bad jokes or what it was, but it just seemed really out of place. Um, on top of that, add to the fact that it was, you, you didn't actually care emotionally about anybody. The, the Indian lady who gets, um, who, who gets trapped in the zombie um, in a death room, she is so annoying in her persistence of like <laughs> trying to get out of here despite everyone warning her not to, leaving her kids to, to try to get out of here in this ridiculous mission that you don't really feel that sorry for her when she gets caught. <laughs> so didn't feel bad for her, didn't feel too bad for her. The friend, the daughter, you know, B- Batista's daughter, again, mm-hmm. just acting in such a ridiculous way. Like who would risk their life to go to save some random friend you'd met in a camp like through the zombie apocalypse like it just wasn't realistic at all like what was their connection that would warrant that sort of sacrifice like you'd have to be just a spoiled brat that thought you were a superhero if you were actually going to do that while putting your own father and his team at risk in your efforts to try to do so because clearly your dad leader of this team is now going to be distracted by saving you when he's on this mission so we couldn't feel sorry for her um this love affair between David Batista, is that how I say it? David Batista. David Batista and the woman that randomly confesses her love at the end and then, you know, instantly it. dies. <laughs> there was, I thought that was his sister. They hadn't, like, established anything between them other than that they. They were friends or something. I 100% agree. I could not believe when she turned around and was like, I love you, or like, I was just like, what? It was incredible. It was unearned. Like, like none of the emotional arcs were earned. Um, You know, all the comedy was annoying. The characters were kind of just annoying. The safe breaker, it it was not, like... I, I get that it's meant to be this Ocean's Eleven type team, but it just wasn't. It was like a poor man's Ocean Eleven. I'm sorry, but it was a poverty rock. Okay, Dave Batista, poverty rock. A poor no, man's no. Oh my God, take it back. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not on the side of any of you guys saying that he can act, he can emote. What are you talking about? It was like someone. It was look. I've had no acting chops. And at least with The Rock, you get, like, overwhelmed by the good looks and the charisma. And, like, I don't know, maybe the good looks and the charisma are so overpowering that I feel like he can act or something. Because I don't sit there watching The Rock going, he can't act. I just sit there watching The Rock and I'm mesmerized. Whereas Dave Batista, I'm like, what? I don't understand. It was literally like a poor man's older Rock. And I don't get why he has this opportunity, okay? I agree that in Guardians of the Galaxy, he's good. But, like... It's not really a very demanding acting role in Guardians of the Galaxy. Anyway, so coming back to this movie, the worst part of it, the worst part, okay, and I've got to take a moment to be serious here. The worst, no, there's two, two bad parts. Worst part, though, is that it sets up what could be potentially interesting in the realms of, like, law, right, where this idea of a zombie, which should be dead, giving birth, like creating life, 
And it raised all these questions in me, like, how? Why? You know? <laughs> Basically, how and why? Two questions that raised in me. <laughs> it, raised, it raised at least two questions, yeah. <laughs> Neither of which were answered. I couldn't believe that the most interesting conceptual part of this movie just... It's almost, it just it was like an afterthought. It just it just wasn't addressed at all. We don't know how it happened, and we don't know why it was happening. The second annoying thing about it, which is not as annoying, is I f- kind of feel like this movie, and maybe all zombie movies, but I won't say that. Especially this movie is like an excuse to be gleeful about massacring people. Because the number of scenes where the humans who were like ruthlessly massacring the zombies seemed to take some kind of joy out of it was just kind of weird to me, <laughs> okay? So it all just sat very uncomfortably. So did I think it was really boring? Not really, but it had a few jump scares. It had, a, you know, it had visually, it was kind of okay for me, but like, no, it wasn't good. Like, I, I think it's a D-grade movie. Yeah, okay. I, I think I think what you said, look, I, I think Batista is a better actor than you give him credit for, but I agree with... Most of the other points, like pretty much everything else you've said, Adria, and I, like I, I think what you said there kind of is gets to the heart of kind of what really pissed me off about this film, which is that the way this film is written and structured is such that there are all these like really interesting plot threads. But nothing ever gets explained or resolved, right? Things just kind of appear, right? Plot threads kind of appear, and they just disappear off into infinity. Like, never to be heard of again, right? Or, it's not... Inter- it's not. We don't care about resolving that, right? So, like, if you think about it, there's, there's so many of these sorts of things. Like, it's not even just plot threads, right? It's like character moments, right? Like, from the very opening of this film, for example, right? Like, you have... Like the opening has this montage of like um, Batista try and like the other people from his team trying to get out of Vegas, right? To show that they've got experience leaving Vegas. And a part of that montage is this mother and daughter who were part of that montage. And you kind of think to yourself, oh, these people are going to be stuck in there and maybe they'll be turned into zombies or maybe that will be what motivates one of these guys to go back in there, right? To figure out what happened to these people. Like, it, it just is never raised again, right? They're just part of the montage. It's never raised again. The opening scene has, like, the whole, like, the military is experimenting on zombies in Area 51 or something, which is what has caused this zombie outbreak. But never guys, re- never really guys, explained. The thing with the mother and the daughter is... You never see them again because they're flattened. No, no, I, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you would think that you would think that like that was like a really interesting part of that, right? But that never goes anywhere. It just kind of just like that's it. But there's so many things that are raised in this. Like I raise that because there's so many things in this film that are like that, right? Where it gets raised and just doesn't go anywhere, right? Like mm. the, the the guy Vandero, right? Who's the guy at the beginning who is supposed to be like massacring zombies with the chain like the chainsaw or whatever it is the power saw yeah the yeah. power saw right he carries it in there and he never uses it never yeah. uses it it's just like what like what was the whole point of that right why did we set that up it, it's there's no payoff right and there are so many scenes like that right it's kind of like oh like 
you know, Hiroyuki Sonata, who is, like, apparently the only Japanese man in Hollywood now who can get work. They fired Ken Watanabe, and now they only use Hiroyuki Sonata. Anyway, he is seen talking to these military types, I think, at one point, and you're like, oh, this is going to be some sort of government conspiracy. No, no, it's never followed up. No one really knows. Who cares? Forget about it. Like, wh- why even have that scene then? <laughs> right? Like, it's almost like even... Even, like, this sort of major plot point, which is, you know, Dave Batista's like, do-gooder, spoiled daughter basically hijacking the mission to find this refugee lady, right? Like, and then, as Jerry said, they rescue her, in inverted commas, the helicopter d- goes down, and you never see her again. It's like, she's chopped liver. Like... <laughs> What? The whole point of this thing was emotionally to try to get someone who was apparently an innocent out of this thing. And, like, they don't even care to show her. <laughs> right? She just dies off screen and no one cares. So it's just like, what, like, why am I... Like, how can I care about this film when the filmmakers themselves don't really seem to care about any of the plot strings that are in this film? Yeah, the other big one, right? Like, the whole like, sentient alpha zombies. Sentient alpha zombies who are apparently, like, locking humans up in captivity rather than immediately eating their brains. Like, none of that's explained. Like, one of the alpha zombies has a baby, but, like, who cares, I guess? Like, no one cares? No one really... Doesn't make an impact on the story whatsoever. Really. (laughs) Right? Like, it's just... (laughs) Like, so, so why did we even bring that up? So it, it really boggles my mind. Like, this is a film that I'm like, who wrote this? Like, what is... Zach, Zach, Zach Snyder wrote it. Yeah, That's like, what... I, I, I'm just like, what brain explosion made you write all this stuff and then not close any of them off? And then, more importantly, in the process of raising all this stuff, you've kind of missed the point of a heist film. So, in my mind... Part of a good heist film... Okay, so there's two things here, right? There's a heist film and a zombie film. A good zombie film doesn't just have jump scares. It is a sense of dread, and you have to have it... There's a sense of, oh, we might not survive this. This film doesn't really have that tone at all, right? Like, this film feels like a video game shooting gallery, right? So it doesn't have, in my mind, doesn't really have that sense of dread. So from a zombie film perspective, it's kind of like, well... You don't really have that. And then, okay, so you've got this heist film perspective. You're in Vegas. It's full of really interesting novel things that you can use to kill zombies or, like, interesting ways of, like, sort of navigating obstacles. Or you can have interesting obstacles that you have to navigate and that sort of thing, right? But this film, there's literally none of that. There's no heist, right? Like, you say this is a heist film, but there's actually no heist in this film, right? Like... In Ocean's Eleven, they plan everything, right? They're like, oh, there's this thing has to happen now, and then this guy goes in, and he has this special role that only he can do, and, like, he has to do this, and then and then these other people do this, 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 and that, right? In this, when they talk about the plan, it's literally, we'll pick up a bunch of guns and just walk in there and shoot zombies, and then the safe cracker will open the safe. The only plan is, we will catch an elevator down to the safe. What? <laughs> What sort of heist film is this? This is insane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, no, you're right, right, Daz. There's barely, there's barely, there is barely a heist to speak of. And 
it's not as if they had to shoot for Ocean's Eleven, which was this sort of twisty, intricate um, uh, Rube Goldberg machine of a heist. Um, I mean, if there's one thing we learned over the last 20 year, years of cinema, particularly in the form of the, the masterpiece that is Fast Five, you can combine action and heist movie um, and, and produce something really fun. And this just didn't even bother with that because, um, like, the most telling example of what I think is wrong with this movie is the story of the helicopter pilot. So she gets on the roof, finds that the helicopter is broken, like it's just not working. And then you don't see her fix it at all. You don't see how she manages to get it working again, how she solves that particular puzzle. And what it's as if Zack Snyder doesn't realise that at the heart of any good heist story is basically kind of an adventure game problem-solving. Yes. Um, yes. Problem-solving. Things go wrong. How do you, yeah. on the spot, you know, yeah. turn yeah. around? And how do, you, what, how do you use misdirection? both at the level of filmmaking and at the level of the characters in the plot in order to convey, tell a satisfying heist story. This has none of that. It, it's not interested in the mechanics of the heist at all. Um, as you say, it, all the, the, the heist merely collapses down to getting this really annoying German dude to the safe so that he can try and unlock it. Um, and that's it. That is That is all there is to this... Yeah, what I like, so for example, when they were going through the heist, I was almost certain that, like, you know, when they see the helicopter, I thought, oh, he's going to introduce this element where they're going to need to make a choice. It's going to be like this ethical, like this moral choice, right? You've got these people who are motivated by, like, basically, like, mercenary, um, like purely mercenary motivations, right? But because this helicopter they've got is so small, it's not going to be able to fit all of them and the money, right? So they're going to have to make some sort of ethical... Because, like, it was so obvious. They've got this tiny little helicopter here, and they have, like, a thousand people, right? And he's brought his daughter along for the ride as well. And they're going to be rescuing the, like, refugee ladies as well, right? So it's like, how are all of them going to fit in this helicopter? And take the entire safe of money away with them. I was like, clearly he's setting up for that. It's like, nope, he's not setting up for that at all. There's none of that. <laughs> There's none of that, right? The helicopter gets fixed, and everyone else dies, and Batista and his daughter and the refugee lady make it to the helicopter. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that, that was weird. But that was a really weird choice. Um, yeah. This is, this is just like, in my mind... This is a great example of, like, it kind of reminded me of the type of creator Zack Schneider is. He's like a he's like a music video director, right? Like he does like music video style action scenes, but I I don't know if he's good at like building compelling, interesting like stories. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, no, he's, he's plainly not a storyteller. He he is he is he is all about the visuals, to an extent. And when I say to an extent, I mean, like there was less slow motion in this movie than in your usual Zack Snyder film, which I suppose is is progress of a sort. But um, he is only what he is interested. He seems to be really interested in the in the aesthetics of gore. Like, yes. Um, his version of Watchmen is a lot gorier than the actual 
comic is and um, 300 sort of kind of delighted in, in bloodshed and you always get the sense that he's attracted to the zombie movie as a genre because as Anna just says it gives him an excuse to film um, headshot after headshot I mean, this movie really fixates on what it, it perceives to be the beauty of a really um, nasty headshot. You mean blowing up heads? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but you so, know, it, it, sorry, Anna, you go first. It's, it's almost fetishistic the way he, he aestheticizes gore. And that's about, that's, about as, that's about as much depth as he can apply to any storytelling project. Yeah, so can I just talk about that headshot thing for a little bit, right? Like, that headshot thing was such a weird choice because basically, like, he establishes in the beginning that basically it's really hard to kill zombies, right? You can't kill them. With every bullet, even people who can't use guns. Exactly, right? Like, at the beginning of the film, no one can hit a zombie head for the life of them, right? The army, the entire US army, could not hit a single zombie head, right? Everyone is just getting killed by these zombies. And then, like, halfway through the film, it's exactly what Aaron just said. Everyone is just doing, like, headshots. Like they've got an aimbot on their computer or something and they're all playing Counter-Strike. Like, it's... It just... It doesn't make sense, right? So all of a sudden, the zombies have turned. It's kind of like, he spends all this time building up the zombies to be, oh, these are really dangerous creatures. You don't want to be in a position... Like, even the crappiest zombie is dangerous and you you don't really even want to be in a position where you're fighting them, right? To Actually, there's no danger at all because every bullet I shoot is just going to be a headshot anyway. So, and then it just becomes a dumb video game shooting gallery thing of exploding heads. It's like, well, what's the point? But he he really loves it. He loves the exploding heads. I think that's weird, though. I have something really, like, deeply weird about this person's brain. (laughs) He just loves the idea of human heads exploding. It's like a very video game thing. Like, so, as as someone who plays video games... Like, John Wick, for instance, aestheticizes violence and turns it into sort of a kind of a dance so every time you know you think of the big nightclub sequence in the original in the original john wick and it, it does aestheticize violence and the, there are headshots and it is it is presented as a, as, as as a dance but like what overcomes that is the amazing skill like the action the quality of the action like yeah yeah the, the, the chor- no, there's amazing choreography yeah. and so you sort of sit there going this is actually beautiful and kind of well, really I don't graceful. think it's beautiful but i almost think for us to have the the, the um honor of watching that choreography it's worth the violence yeah whereas whereas this this there, there's there's not that level of choreography but there's the camera really does kind of linger on the on the exploding heads or the row of exploding heads for no purpose for yeah. nothing and it's really and, and and it kind of reinforces what i've always suspected about Zack snyder namely that, that he's basically this sort of he hit the age of 13 and basically stopped growing up yes uh, exactly there, there is something deeply adolescent about all his sensibilities and about all his movies. But, Darren, so you like video games. I used to like video games. The point of blowing people up in video games is to, you know, to get become more powerful and get to the next level and to ultimately, you know, power up and win the game, right? There's, there is a point to it, right? You don't 
I, I didn't enjoy, you know, killing people in my video games just to watch them die. <laughs> well, look, I, I, I mean, I think I was responding more to Gerald's comment about the exploding heads, right? Like, so I, I think there is this thing in games, especially in first-person shooter games now, where, like, when you play, if you snipe someone and you get their head, and it's, it's kind of like this sort of... It's like a critical hit sort of thing, right? It's like a bing, you got the critical hit. You got that sort of, you know, your skill kind of paid off, right? So there, there is that sort of, like, I don't know, there's this, uh, this sort of feedback mechanism that you get nowadays with video games where you have the exploding head, which is like, oh, bang, I, I did it, right? I, it was, it's a really small target to hit, and I hit it, and, you know, I, maybe I did it when I was, like, running or jumping or whatever it was, right? Like, bang. This movie. Sorry? Do, you, do, you, do you feel that watching this movie? Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel like that's what he was going for, right? That's sort of the exploding... Did you, like, I'm sure that's what he was going for, but did you feel that sense of reward every time there was an exploding head? I think the first few times you watch it, there is that sense of, oh, yeah, that's kind of badass, right? But then it's kind of like, he over... It's kind of like, he does it... They start shooting him in the head in the first few times it works, and then once it gets it, like every shot is just a headshot. Right. It, it's like it it loses it, right? Like the whole point of it is that it's rare and it's difficult yeah. to achieve, yeah. right? It's like, and then it's not difficult to achieve. Like everyone can do it. Like they're all doing it. To, like every zombie, all these alpha zombies who are apparently super difficult to kill, are just yeah. like cannon fodder. So mm. yeah, like I, I think he is kind of like he overplays his hand right like he's like he's onto a good thing and instead of using it with subtlety he's just like nah i'm just gonna like do this as much as possible and it'll be awesome and it's like actually no sometimes if you do that too much it it loses its awesomeness i mean to to gerald's point actually to the whole gore fetishization that fetishization thing like i found it really interesting because jerry mentioned at the beginning that there are elements of aliens in this film right specifically the paul riser character in aliens yeah right? totally and also the the latina lady who sacrifices exactly she's vasquez right she's yeah, basically exactly. vasquez totally. <laughs> yeah she's vasquez and then there's i can't remember like what was paul riser's anyway like so yeah so there's that alien thing but i think if you actually compare the scenes from Aliens. Aliens, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, right? <laughs> like, James Cameron is actually much more economical in his storytelling, and it's much more effective. So, when Paul Reiser gets killed by the alien, it's like snap, right? Paul Reiser gets, like, you know, is, like, you know, is trying to make his getaway, and then the alien catches him, right? And then you, all you see is kind of the alien head on the side, and the, and the growl, and then it just fades to black. You don't need to see anything anything more, right? It's more scary that way that you don't see it. Here, you've got the zombie tiger literally, like, tearing this guy apart. And, like, you see the, like, the cuts and the, like, really disgusting he's been lacerated and stuff, right? By the zombie tiger. Like, it goes on for, like, a minute and a half, two minutes or whatever. It's like, I mean, I guess from a CG perspective and from a makeup perspective, it's... Um, impressive, but from a storytelling perspective, like, it doesn't really add a hell of a lot. I didn't think, anyway. Right? I thought it was, like, a really great parallel of, like, you know, actually, you can do this and get the same effect in, like, two seconds, and it's much more powerful and leads to a much better film instead of spending, like, two minutes having a 
tiger like ragdoll this guy around it doesn't really achieve anything yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think seen in isolation it's a, it is a pretty impressive kill like it really it, it it goes on for way too long and it is it is very gory but te- it, it is actually technically quite impressive how that that scene was put together and it looks quite seamless but but as you say um it serves no storytelling purpose so it really is there to i mean it, it really is there to to scratch um snyder's itch for the pornography of violence like it's it's that's really i mean i think it, it is no deeper than that for him he just he just loved this he just loves the sight of dismembered bodies and and blood um and uh the more of that he can pack into a movie from his perspective uh the better um and bearing in mind like this was you know the, the he he must have i i'm sure he he managed to land himself a very high degree of creative control for this movie there was actually a time when he was one of the few directors in hollywood who got who had final cut um he didn't have final cut for the dceu movies but i, I wouldn't be surprised if he did for this and the way he he he, he abused that power by uh, serving up um shot after shot of just grotesque fetishistic violence um is just uh, i just think it, it it stands utterly to his discredit that that you know this is what this is what we got and 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 then to top it all off as if to insult the deliberately to insult the intelligence of the audience he friggin uses zombie the song <laughs> as a drop of the zombie movie and you're like are you joking <laughs> yeah I, i thought that was pretty funny as well <laughs> It's it's like you're listening to his iPod though, right? He's got so many the amount of money they would have spent on like song rights yeah. in that film. And you know, you know, he would have done it without a trace of irony. He wouldn't. He wasn't. He wouldn't. He's not taking the piss when he when he uses that that song, which has nothing to do with zombie in a zombie movie. He just thought, hey, how funny would it be, or how cool would it be to use this this awesome cranberry song. That has the word zombie in its chorus and is called zombie and put it in a zombie movie, and, and that's about it. That, that that is actually how deep Zack Snyder is. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, we all found out in Justice League how much he loves his own playlist. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, at least in Justice League, for instance, you know. Because his late daughter's favorite song was Hallelujah, so that that got busted out a couple of times. So, you know, at least in that project, he he could see outside. He could kind of see outside himself. <laughs> whereas, whereas in this movie, he sort of retreated into his own fetishes and his own sort of uh, neuroses to such an extent that this is, this felt like you were you were spending time inside Zack Snyder's id, and it was not a pleasant place to be. Yeah. Look, I mean, the whole Zack Snyder thing is actually a pretty interesting discussion because, look, on one hand, you have a very, like, Hollywood is quite, um, how should I put this? It, it, like, there's, we've seen a lot of films in Hollywood that are made by committee that don't really have a strong creative vision and that sort of thing, right? Now, like, I guess the thing that I struggle with with Zack Schneider is that while I don't love 
look, I, I don't really love most of his films, right? But at the same time, he is like, he has a very distinct voice, right? So I, I'm not really sure. Yeah, like in a time where distinct voices are kind of uh, like not as prevalent in these sorts of films, it is nice having someone who's a distinct who has a distinct voice. I just wish they were a better filmmaker, right? Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, and, and look, I think, you know, sort of, he is working, like, on the topic of being in Zack Snyder's head, I mean, when when the Bautista character <coughs> dies at the end um, and, you know, sort of tells his daughter to kill him um, so that, you know, she might survive, what I couldn't help but think that in his own mind... Zack Snyder was giving vent to that part of himself that was that was thinking about his own daughter. I, I would I would be I would rather take your place so that you could live. Oh, very deep. Um, so it's not as if he's he's completely. I don't think he's completely shallow, but um, he is so adolescent in so many of his sensibilities that. I think comparisons with Michael Bay are actually quite apt. Like Michael Bay really is just a 14-year-old kid who, in whom um, studios have over a decade, two and a half decades now, um, invested hundreds of millions of dollars and let him run riot. And every so often it works, very often it doesn't. And I think Snyder is kind of Snyder is kind of like that with with an edge of like more pain given his his experiences. So he is every bit as distinct, I think, a, a, a stylist as Michael Bay. Um, yeah. Like Michael Bay, he just cannot, he can't be left alone. You wouldn't leave him alone to write his own story or write his own screenplays because yeah. it's just something that he's not capable of doing. Yeah. It, that's really interesting that you say that, Jerry, because just before this podcast, Mags and I were having this very discussion, right, about... Like, because I was like, you know, there is an element of my. I think for me, the big difference is that, and I don't rightly or not, right? I I don't know if if this is just my personal biases here, right? But like, I see Michael Bay films as much more cynical, right? Like, for all his faults, I don't feel like Zack Snyder is making cynical films. I think he is actually an adolescent at heart. Um, and he is like an edgy teenager who is making edgy teenager films and writing edgy teenager stories. But that is, I feel like that is authentically who he is, right? I think that Michael Bay is not authentically a guy who loves exploit. Well, he may love exploit, but I think he cynically also knows this is what is expected of me, and therefore I'm just gonna like overcharge this product, right? There's something, as I said, I don't I don't know if this is my personal prejudice, but I feel like Michael Bay films are less authentic than Zack Snyder films, and this is why I'm torn here, right? Because I know that this is objectively a bad film, but at the same time. I feel like the filmmaker is being authentic, right? So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. As, as, as you say, like, you know, sort of, 
given his given given what has happened to him over the last five years, um, given the fact that everyone who's ever worked with him says he's a really great guy to work with, like every, all the cast and crew of Justice League, it, the stories are coming out now have confirmed that he was he was someone they really enjoyed working with, and they hated Joss Whedon. Um, and and so even though the work product that you got out of Snyder was of questionable quality quite often, at the very least this was a this was a, a this was a genuinely nice guy who was who had been through something absolutely awful and traumatic, and everyone was rooting for him to succeed. So you do you do feel you do feel for him. You do want him to um, you know be his best self when he when he releases a project. Uh, it, it's just that. I think for all the for all the um, you know not inconsiderable talent that he has, he's he's also kind of imprisoned within his, within his own limitations, and they are very very tight limitations that he has not been able to transcend at all. Yes, this is true. Over his entire career, like that sort of adolescent style of storytelling, like he it's he hasn't been able to overcome that, right? Like, what I find really interesting is that, like, I, I, I think I would be really interested in seeing Zack Schneider being teamed up with someone who can really write a good story, right? And basically have Snyder purely focus on visuals and have, basically, the storyteller direct him, almost, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's almost as if it's almost as if, look, this, I mean, the name I'm about to drop is thoroughly overrated as a screenwriter, but it's all, you would almost want to see Zack Snyder direct a Jonathan Nolan script. Well, in both of those, you need, like, the problem with both of those guys is that there needs to be also an adult in the room with both yeah, of yeah. those guys, right? Because both of those guys become way too self-indulgent. Right, so you need you have yeah, these guys, yeah, and then you need someone. To... A Jonathan Nolan script edited by Tony Gilroy. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, right? But I, I, I get what you're saying, Jerry. Right, like you need someone who is a who is an interesting storyteller, and he is a visual guy. And then I still believe that you, as I said, I think you need an adult in the room to just go okay, you kids are being too exuberant right now. We just need to tone it back a little bit. But, yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll see. Look, the the thing that's come out of this is that I think Netflix has greenlit, like, a whole bunch of other projects that are related to this film. Amazingly, right? There there, there is going to be an Army of the Dead cinematic universe. (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) These are things that... Do, do, any, is anyone around this table... Mags, Anajar, are you looking forward to more Army of the Dead films? <laughs> no way you can convince us to watch. <laughs> never say never, Anajar. Remember, we watched Godzilla King of the Monsters and then we also watched Godzilla vs. Kong. <laughs> hey, in our defence... The Godzilla vs. Kong trailer was awesome. It was. It, 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 it did not adequately convey just how freaking stupid that movie is. Mags, are you interested in the Army of the Dead series of films? Oh, well, Dave Batista is dead, so... 
No. Yeah, I mean, if it's going to star his annoying daughter, I'm I'm okay not watching them. <laughs> okay. Um, is there anything else we want to have a chat about, Andrew Mags? Is there anything else we've kind of missed? Oh no, go ahead, Mags. I was just going to say, is there any uh, Zack Schneider movies in the works? Or is this really, is this the last one? I don't don't know. know. I don't know. I don't Uh, know. Look, um, I think he needs to take a time out. (laughs) He really does. Zack, please, for the love of God, take a chill pill, take a time out. You know, you're still hurting, dude, and I feel you. Uh, Take care, and please, you know, for the next six, seven years, don't make another movie. <laughs> oh, my God, no, there is. There's another movie called Army of Thieves. Oh, is he making that? No, like, he's, that's, like, his movie. Like Robin Hood? Uh, it's an upcut. oh, guys, according to Wikipedia, it's an upcoming American romantic comedy heist film. Uh, God. <laughs> Why? So I suppose we'll see. Oh, it's based on Army of the Dead. Oh, this is one of those ones you were talking about, Darren. Yeah. Okay. But the thing is, what this exposes, right, is take take genres like you know zombie movies or heist movies. They're not actually as easy to pull off as as the good ones make it look. Mm. And, and when you have someone who brings to it. A degree of hackishness what results is a face plant and so like for instance take romantic comedies they're not actually all that easy to just think of how many bad romantic comedies there have been actually not that easy to pull off it's it's really hard to do a good romantic comedy simply because like the chemistry between the leads that's required for a good romantic comedy that's hard to find and 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 in order to and breathing fresh life into um, all the tropes and expected beats of a romantic comedy—that's really, really hard. And, and to think that to think that Zack Snyder would be trying his hand at that—it's—it's it, it's <laughs> terrifying. It's a terrifying thought. It's even scarier than the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm just thinking, okay, emo teenage boy Zack Snyder. What sort of rom com would he come up with? <laughs> Right? It, 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 like, it, what? Some nerdy loner kid meets the hottest girl at school. <laughs> Who just inexplicably cool. loves him for no loves reason. Him. Loves him. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, folks. Thanks so much for joining me for quite an enjoyable conversation. I, I must say, I, I feel like this conversation was more fun than the actual movie. So that was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we'll, I, I think we'll be back soon because from what I can understand, there That's is a... Serious a night. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we have to watch that. Like... <laughs> This is Gerald's favorite film series of all time. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll be back for Fast 9. So, thanks everyone for joining us, and um, we'll see everyone soon. Bye, everyone. Bye. Ciao.